The strongest man in the Bible, what's his name? Yes, indeed, this is the day that we get to talk about Samson and Delilah. I was curious, though, to know today, who would be in the running for the strongest man on earth today? So I googled World Bench Press Record. It's pretty fascinating to find out what has gone on in the last hundred years with the bench press. Because in 1898, when they started writing down how much people were benching, the, uh, the guy with the record benched 361 pounds. Not bad. It was, it was in the 1950s when the first guy on record crossed the 400-pound threshold. And in the 50s, somebody benched 500 pounds for the first time. It wasn't until 10 years later in 67 when somebody benched 600 pounds for the first time. And then it wasn't for another 20 years. It was in 85 when somebody finally managed to lift 700 pounds. Then it wasn't for another 14 years in 99 when somebody managed to bench 800 pounds. And then in 2003, Gene Richlack Jr. in 03 benched 900 pounds, and in 04, he was the first man to ever bench 1,000 pounds. We've got video here of him in 20, uh, 2006 benching 1,010 pounds for the world record. Go ahead and play that. What do you think? Are you impressed? A thousand pounds. Bench pressed a thousand pounds. I wouldn't mess with that guy. Am I right? Whatever he asked of me, I would give to him in a heartbeat. A thousand pounds. Um, We'll see this morning how strong Samson was physically. And based on what we read, Samson could have picked that up with one hand. I'm not kidding you. Samson could have picked that up with one hand. All the toughest guys in the gym would be in awe of him if he lived today. Because God gave him as much physical strength as he needed to do anything he wanted. Yet in Samson's life, we learn something about faith. Because the strongest man in the Bible, the strongest man in all of human history, had a weakness. We see that one unguarded area of weakness led to his colossal downfall. What we learn in Samson's life is that even the strongest man had to walk by faith in his strong Savior to make it. And Samson's story shows us a downward spiral. Shows us what happens when we Allow an area of weakness to jeopardize our walk of faith. 
There's four words that I'm going to give you this morning. And each word shows us the downward spiral our life will take. If even though we've got a lot of areas going right, we allow unguarded areas to go untended. We learn about faith and we learn it from Samson. Let's pray and then we'll, learn one of, we'll hear one of the most famous stories in the Bible together. Father above, so far in this series, Running with the Giants, we've met people who have strong faith, people who have weak faith. We've met people who are moral and upright and people who are strange and sinful and weird and wicked. And Today we meet a man who has such amazing power. Like no other man throughout history, you gave him tremendous might. But Father, he teaches us what happens when even in our strength we wander from you. Lord, help us to learn from his faith and help us to learn from his failure. I pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Judges chapter 16 is where where we're all heading together. Go ahead and get there. Judges chapter 16. little background for you. If you read earlier in Judges, we meet Samson and find out about him. Israel sinned again and God was punishing them going on 40 years here. The Philistines were making life uh, miserable for the Israelites. And now Samson uh, was brought on the scene to be a judge, a deliverer. Uh, To give you your bearings, in 50 years, the judges would be over. Israel would have its first king. So we're closing out one era of Old Testament uh, kind of salvation or or, uh, Old Testament history. And we're going into another era. We'll begin talking about King David next week. But here things were getting worse with each judge, not better. And Samson was the 12th judge, and Israel was in misery. So, factoring that in, we also learned that Samson had an amazing uh, beginning to his life. An angel of the Lord appeared to his parents who were barren and said, you're going to have a miracle child. God's going to give you a miraculous child that you would not have otherwise had. And he's going to be special. He's going to be devoted to the work of the Lord for his entire life. Samson had incredible physical strength from the Holy Spirit. He had everything stacked in his favor. But what would he do with it? Well, check out Judges 16, verse 1. It says, Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw, uh, what does that say there? A prostitute. He went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night saying, let us wait till the light of the morning. Then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in the front of Hebron. Okay, Samson... Here shows us two things. First of all, he shows us heroic strength. And he also shows us glaring weakness. The first word I would give you in this downward spiral is contradiction. Samson allowed a contradiction to creep into his life. Heroic strength, glaring weakness. How heroic was his strength? Well, let's talk about that. Most of the other judges in the book would lead armies out into battle. But if you read a few chapters before this, we find an army of a thousand Philistines coming up against the Israelites. And Samson was the army. 
He went out to face a thousand Philistines and he killed them all with, do you remember the story? What did he use? Remember from growing up, the jawbone of a, of a donkey. Who knows if it was sharp or whatever, but that's all it took. And he said, heaps and heaps and heaps of the enemy piled up. Single-handedly, he killed a thousand men. Are you impressed with his physical strength? How strong was he? Well, when he was younger, he tore a roaring lion that charged at him, tore it to pieces. All right, the next time you're at the zoo, jump in the lion's exhibit. Let's see how well you do. He tore the lion apart. Didn't have a scratch on him. That's how strong he was. And here we see that he goes to the gate and lifts the whole gate up out of the ground uh, and carries it. If he went all the way with it, it would be a 40-mile trip. And then he walked uphill and dumped it on a hill in front of Hebron. How heavy was this gate? Well, people have tried to figure it out. We don't know for sure, but... They estimate that given the two posts sunk into the ground, you're at least talking like a couple telephone poles worth of lumber, okay? So we're, we're over a thousand pounds at the low end of how heavy this gate was, and that's if it was just all wood. You had some metal on it, all right, now you're getting up to five, ten, fifteen thousand pounds, and it's attached to stone walls, and it's sunk into the ground, and he picks it up and walks away with it. All those men who were laying in ambush, waiting to kill him, they just went like this. Let him go. Just let him go. Heroic strength. He was so strong, it's unbelievable. There's another strong man in our day. Check this out. This strong guy is trying to pull a plane. Okay? This is what strong men in our day try and do to show off. Uh, but if Samson was alive today and he was out on that runway, he'd walk that plane around like it was a puppy. God placed no limit on the physical strength Samson had. Whatever strength he needed in the moment, God gave to him. Heroic strength. But there was a contradiction because there was a glaring weakness. It says he was with a prostitute in Gaza. He's, he's in enemy territory here. And he's with a prostitute. That's called sin. That dishonors the Lord. And he's putting himself in a vulnerable and trapped position. Learn something about your sin. When you allow the sin to creep into your life and to stay, you are putting yourself in a vulnerable position. He's trapped. But God is patient, so he manages to get out of it this time. What we see in Samson in this contrast is a mix. We can't say that he's amazing and a perfect example to all of us, but we can't say that he's just godless because God's with him. So, so he's everything Israel should have been. Strong and mighty in battle. Undefeatable. Clothed with the strength of the Lord. Called by God to a special mission. He's everything that the Israelites should have been. But he's also everything that the Israelites shouldn't have been. Giving in to sin. Trapped playing games with God, testing God's patience. Frankly, that makes Samson a really good example of each one of us. I'm grateful that God didn't just put perfect people in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. There's weird people there, sinful people, people who keep making the same mistake over and over and over again. There's people who are trying God's patience, just like us. 
And here Samson is a walking contradiction. He's allowing lust to creep into his heart to take over and he's, he's playing games. Even the fact that he lifted the gate up and went back home, it's almost a sign of kind of repentance. Like, I'm out of here. I'm going back where I'm supposed to be. I'm dumping the gates of the enemy here. at the. It's, it's almost like he's going through this cycle of sin, repent, repeat. Sin, repent, repeat. Maybe that's where you are with the Lord. Such blessing, calling, power, purpose, such sin, pride, lust, and foolishness. It's a contradiction. And I would ask you this in your own heart. Is, is there an area in your life right now that is just an outright glaring contradiction to everything God has called you to? Everything God has saved you from? Everything God has destined you for? If people tried to talk to you about it, maybe it's your anger, your temper. Red-faced, loud-voiced, steering wheel pounding, wall punching, rage. And you can only blame it on others for so long. Maybe for you it's greed. The love of money has taken a hold of your heart. And maybe money is becoming the determining factor of where you steer your life. It's drawing you even away from your Lord. Leading you to do things you know are wrong. Is it greed? Maybe it's pride and you just see yourself as more knowledgeable and smarter, looking further and further down on other people and think less and less of what God's Word is saying to you. Or or maybe, and this is so closely tied to this story, maybe it's lust. Maybe it's your heart is inflamed with sinful, sexual lust. And it's getting out of control and it's leading you to do things that you're ashamed of, but you're playing the game. Sin Repent, repeat, over and over and over again. Any unguarded area in your life is going to be the strategic focus of your enemy's attack. It's your Normandy. It's where the enemy is going to land his forces. The Bible says the enemy can't touch you. But if you surrender ground to him, he has a base of operations. And he can get at you. Then when he messes you all up, then he throws you at other people in your life and messes them up. That's how spiritual warfare works. Is there a contradiction? There was in Samson. And it was going to lead to his ruin. First word is contradiction, which leads to the second word, which is this, crisis. Crisis. Reading on in verse 4. It says in verse 4, After this, he loved a woman. In the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. There's that radio program in Chicago. Have you heard Delilah? Plays love songs all night. I don't listen to it. (laughs) He loved a woman named Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said, so there's like, we think five of them, because before this and after this in the Bible, it mentions five lords of the Philistines. So there's like five of them who lead governments, the government of the land. They came up to her and said, seduce him and see where his great strength lies. 
and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, please, can you see her eyes and the look on her face? Please, tell me where your great, she's like touching his muscles. Tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound. Can you see, this is like kinky, she's got the ropes and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. Crisis. Jot this down, here's the crisis. Foolish risk, foolish risk, fleeting reward. Foolish risk, fleeting reward. The Philistines were smart. We can't beat him in open combat, but he's got a weakness. He loves naughty, dangerous women. So we're going to get her to get him to tell us the secret. And this amount, by the way, of 1,100 shekels times maybe five liters 5,500 shekels was an enormous amount of money. It's about 150 pounds of silver. One scholar estimates that in today's dollars, it would be a $15 million bribe. Sleep with him, seduce him, find out his strength, and you're a rich woman. Delilah, her name likely means to flirt. And this was international espionage. You see, he's sleeping with the enemy. She's a Philistine. So this is like spy stuff. Like, take him in and get the secret and then give it to us. And Samson's sleeping with the enemy. He's putting himself at risk. He's putting his country at risk. And his physical strength here was now jeopardized by his greatest weakness, which is lust. Well, what happens? Look at verse 7. It says, Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Is he telling the truth? He's playing the game. You want to tie me up? You can tie me up. Use this. Tie me up. See, and Delilah's got to play her cards right because she's got to like lead him on and make it feel like they're in a thing. But then when the Philistines come, she's got to make it think like it was out of nowhere. So she's got to kind of keep warning him in case he survives so he doesn't turn on her. She is a very shrewd woman. So he's playing the game. She's playing him. And God's looking on. Not impressed. Crisis. Foolish risk. Fleeting reward. Samson was playing games here with sex. Um. He was putting himself in a dangerous position. Check this out. This is a picture of what Samson was basically doing. What? I'm not in trouble. What? I'm not going to get hurt. What? I'm strong enough to... And we, we learn lessons here from both Delilah and from Samson. I think if we just, if we just look at Delilah for a moment, let me, uh, let me talk to all of the young women in the room, especially those of you coming here from Trinity College and those of you in high school and those of you in junior high, all the young women, hey, Delilah shows you something. Delilah is a woman who is sexually sinful. There's a price at which her body can be bought. And, and that's the only thing she was concerned with. I think if Delilah lived today, she would be a celebrity. Am I right? 
willing to do whatever with her body as long as she gets a paycheck and would the world, our world frown upon her as long as she was good looking? Our world rewards women like that with hundreds of thousands of dollars a year for what they do. She would be a celebrity today in this culture. And in my heart, I just need to talk straight with the young women of our church. Listen, according to our culture today, the foremost feminine virtue is sex appeal. And your ability to catch the eyes of the men around you and hold them with a magical grip is the definition of woman. Listen to the songs, watch the movies, look at the celebrities, and what the message you're getting is sex appeal is the solid gold standard of femininity. Got it? You get everything. Don't have it? Maybe some other things can make up for it. And I just want you to hear that from Delilah's example, we see that this is a reprehensible sin. And you need to understand that... Can I talk straight with you? You need to understand that you can be sexy without being hoochie. You can be sexy and still be godly. The lies the world is telling you need to be resisted. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And don't let those lies creep into your heart. Don't let them define who you are or how you're going to interact with the the boys or the men around you. You be holy and devoted to the Lord. And He will honor that. He will honor your purity. Let me talk to the young men for a second here. Samson is everything that this world, that this culture will teach you you need to be. Athletic, handsome, influential, victorious in battle. He can get the women. Okay, but in God's estimation in this area, he's a failure. And he's subjecting himself to God's coming judgment. Now, God's will for your life is crystal clear in the Scripture. All right, listen up. High schoolers, college students, listen up. God's will for your sex life is that you commit to being pure until your wedding night. If you have not gone on your face in front of a holy God and asked Him for the strength to do His will, you will fail. Samson wasn't strong enough to resist this this temptation. He was the strongest man in the Bible. Who is the wisest man in the Bible? Solomon. What took him down? Women. Who is the godliest man in the Bible? A man after God's own heart. David. What took him down? Bathsheba. You don't have the strength. Samson's learning something here that's true about you. How much strength do I need to have to win the battle with sin myself? More strength that is humanly possible. You can't. You need a strong Savior, which is what Samson was walking away from. Commit to purity. You can't play with fire. Samson was playing games. There's a few verses. Let me put them up on the screen. Proverbs 6, 27-29 says this, Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. Hebrews 13.4 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. Listen, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Maybe you're in a place now where you're not even playing the games anymore. You are just failing in this area and giving in. 
Maybe you even think God's okay with it. This picture is a picture of where you're standing. Check it out. You're standing underneath that right now. God doesn't say, I might judge you. God doesn't say maybe. He says he will. And every day you persist in unrepentant sexual immorality, God pushes that stone one foot closer to the edge. His patience will run out. His judgment will fall. It's just a matter of time. Contradiction. Heroic strength, glaring weakness, which led to a crisis, foolish risk, fleeting reward. Reading on, the game continues. Verse 8, Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried. She bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson! But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you've mocked me and told me lies. You just tried to kill me. No, he doesn't see it. Please tell me how you might be bound. He said to her, If they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new robes and bound him with them and said to, said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. The men lying in ambush were in an inner chamber, but he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you've mocked me. You've mocked me. She just won't let up. Told lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my head... With the web and fasten it tight with the pin, then I shall become weak like any other man. So when he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head. Do you see how he's playing with fire now? He's getting closer, isn't he? The seven locks of his head and wove them into the web. She made them tight with the pin and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep, pulled away the pin, the loom, and the web. This is uh, what was going on here was he was probably laying on the ground or and, and this loom thing is like two stakes in the ground with like a web of thread going over him. So it was <clears throat> some way to try and restrain him. But he told her about using his hair. He's getting very risky now. He's getting very risky. Verse 15, he finally caves. <clears throat> she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You've mocked me these three times and you have not told me where your great strength is. If you love me, you would... Anybody who says that is manipulating you. When she pressed him hard with her words, day after day after day after day, and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. I'd rather die than endure this nagging one more day. Tell me, just tell me, tell me. And he told her, okay, I'll tell you. He told her all his heart, said to her, a razor has never come upon my head, for I've been a Nazarite to to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Jot this down. Contradiction. Crisis. Collapse. Collapse. Ungodly pleasure unbearable sin ungodly pleasure unbearable pain 
I said sin, I'm sorry. Unbearable pain. Uh, choose to sin, choose to suffer. And we see here that even though Samson had all these blessings of election as an Israelite and God had plans for him and God's strength, his spirit was in him, none of that prevented Samson's sin from bringing God's judgment. Choose to sin, choose to suffer. It's true for him, it'll be true for you. And this collapse was inevitable. Ungodly pleasure, unbearable pain. Delilah did what a thousand Philistine soldiers couldn't do. She got him to tap. I'm done, fine, I'm done. It was an unguarded area of weakness. Samson let a sexual relationship with a foreign woman capture his heart, tear him away from God, reveal the secret of his devotion and calling. He'd rather have less conflict and more pleasure with her than stay devoted to his God. He'd rather put the whole nation at risk for her. It was a foolish and a fatal exchange. What's up with this Nazarite thing? What does that mean? Well, anybody in the Old Testament could take one. What you would do is you just wouldn't, wouldn't shave your head or cut your hair. You wouldn't drink alcohol. You wouldn't touch anything dead. Um, and, and it went on for as long as you wanted it to go on. And it was just like a temporary vow that you could make. You wouldn't drink alcohol either. Then at the end of the vow, you could shave your head. You could go back to living the normal way. Well, God appointed and called Samson to be a Nazarite for life, to be set apart, devoted to the Lord in a special way for a special purpose. Samson had already touched dead things. He was playing games. He had already probably he'd already drank alcohol. You just read he's going to drinking parties. The Bible doesn't outright say it, but it's most likely that he did. So this was the last thing left, and he knew it. And by telling her this, he jeopardized his entire life's mission and his, and his nation. He abandoned them. And God was not happy. Collapse. Collapse. What would happen next? Well, reading on in verse 18. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She's about to become a rich girl. She made him sleep on her knees. She called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him and his his strength left him. She said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Wow. I don't know which half of that sentence is more tragic. That the Lord left him. Or that he did not know. And the Philistines seized him so easily and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. He ground at the mill in the prison. Wow. Collapse. Ungodly pleasure leads to unbearable pain. What was the secret to his great strength? Don't misread what the Bible's saying here. It was not his hair. All right. He had a special relationship to the Lord based on, first of all, his heritage in Israel and second of all, his special divine calling. Once he sacrificed all the symbols of that relationship, we simply observe that he had thrown his special relationship with the Lord in the toilet. He was done. He would would trade Delilah for God. He was willing to do it. It says the Lord left him. 
There went His strength. And God's Holy Spirit of power would come on people in the Old Testament and it would leave them. And that's exactly why He... What would make you like any other ordinary man? Oh, tie me up with robes. Oh, tie me up with this. Oh, cut my hair. But He never really did say it. If my God leaves me, if my God leaves me, I would be like any other man. That's really what He was saying. And God wouldn't put up with His childishness and his compromise anymore. He allowed Samson to be easily captured. They put his eyes out. That's ironic, because reading through his life story, he kept saying, she is good in my eyes. I like what I see. And throughout Judges, it says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And here, it's so ironic that the thing that he would follow into sin, it was taken from him painfully. What does Jesus say? If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Which, which means take drastic action to remove the sin from your life before the judgment comes. And in this case, the enemies did it for him. They gouged his eyes out. They cut his hair off. Samson was Hercules on the outside, but he was a child on the inside. God was not amused with the games, and judgment came. This is a terrifying thought. It's a tragic warning to any one of us who's walking by faith and decides to veer off and to follow our sinful pleasures. For Samson, his story was written down in the Bible so people can read of his failures for the next thousands of years. I don't know about you, but I'm glad my sins didn't get written down in Scripture for everyone to, oh, look what Ryan did. Whoa, what a moron he was. But they are written down. I... Uh, I heard of a few stories recently of people who had bra- they, they broke the law, and so the judges decided to publicly humiliate them. They had a choice, either public humiliation or jail. So check this out. This is one person who is a lesson to others. She's holding the sign that says, only an idiot would drive on the sidewalk to avoid a school bus. Go to jail or hold up this sign so others can learn from you. Here's the next one. I am a thief I stole from Walmart. Imagine walking into Walmart seeing that. Now a testimony to you. Warning, warning. Don't do this. Here's the next one. This was not court imposed. This was parent imposed. I lied to my dad. Here's the last one. It's just kind of weird and funny. I steal forks from restaurants. (laughs) In a sense, Samson is doing that to you. I chose sex over God. And here's what happens. Collapse. Ungodly pleasure, unbearable pain. His foolish choice has led to his humiliation. Our dog Spencer likes to sometimes think he's all that, tries to be the alpha. But a few weeks ago he went upstairs and there was a bunch of girls over playing with my daughters and they brought him into the room and when he came out, here's what he looked like. Those are silly bands on his left wrist. He lost all man points for life, and he knows it. But sin will do that to you. Uh, Someone has once said, God's plan A is humility, God's plan B is humiliation. The longer you play the game, the more likely you will be utterly crushed and humiliated. Sin will take you on a wild and a fun ride. Sin is a blast. But at the end of it all, 
it's disaster. Really, the choice that many of you have <clears throat> is the road of sin is <clears throat> temporary pleasure or enduring pain. The path of righteousness is often temporary pain for enduring pleasure, right? If you choose to exercise self-control, to wait, to do it God's way, it's going to be hard. But in the end, the pain will last. If you choose to forsake God's way, it's going to be easy. But the pain will last. Check out this picture of what happened when a hurricane came on the eastern coast, hit an amusement park. And whatever wild ride of sin you're on right now, however fun it is, that's where it's leading you. That's going to be your life. God will see to it. Your God who loves you will see to it. Collapse. Maybe you haven't arrived there yet. Maybe there's still time for you to turn back. Maybe you have. Maybe it's fresh. Maybe your own foolishness has caused your world to come crashing down around you. Maybe God has called you on your sin. And now the hurt and the pain and the suffering is something you can't fix. What then? What if it's too late? Well, thankfully, the story's not over. God won't clean it up completely or immediately. Verse 22 says, But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Again, his hair means nothing, but this is symbolic. You see, his faith was starting to grow back. As a prisoner, bound in misery, humiliated, something was changing. It's the fourth word you can write down. Contradiction, crisis, leads to collapse, which God intends to produce change. The contradiction that you're allowing will provoke a crisis, which will lead to collapse, which God will use to change you. Jot this down. Repentant call, merciful response. Repentant call, merciful response. Verse 23, Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their God and to rejoice. They said, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. Isn't that funny? Whose God gave Samson to them? Samson's God. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. When their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. How, put yourself in his shoes out in the arena. Thousands of people laughing. Samson, pick up this rock. Samson, break this board. Samson, do this. Laughing. You could end up there humiliated, shamed, guilty. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests that I may lean against them. So the pillars supported the whole structure of the roof and people on the ground and people on the roof were all supported by these pillars. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson, listen, 
called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me. And please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one, his left hand on the other. Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those who he had killed during his life. Samson, right here, is a portrait in a sense of repentance and a portrait of grace. Some scholars are still skeptical about him. They say, oh, he's still being selfish. He's concerned about his own eyes and his own vengeance. And you know what? I think he was repentant. Otherwise, why would God's strength come back to him? God came back to him. He was still selfish, yes, but many repentant people are. He was still in the flesh and and sinful. Yes, he is, but, but he was repentant. And so God came back to him. Do you see that even after his greatest failure that was going to get written down for all to read, do you see that in that moment, his repentant call brought God's merciful response? Does it encourage you to know that even if you failed, even if you've fallen into sin, if you repent and call upon your Lord, He will return to you? He's not done with you. Never will he leave you. Never will he forsake you. Turns out his judgment, his discipline on you is actually for your good, that you may become holy like him. He's showing you father love. Change. In my misery, after my failure and rebellion, my faith can be rekindled and my love for God can return. Samson is here like the prodigal who woke up in the pigsty. Like Jonah who repented in the belly of a whale. You can wake up in the middle of your failure. Turn to the Lord. Listen. He will hear you. He will bless you. He will forgive you. No, not me. Not after what I've done. Hey, listen. Samson squandered a calling he had from before birth. What he did, if you read earlier in the, in the book, he did something that led to his first wife being burned to death because she betrayed him. He slept with prostitutes. If God will return to him and show him grace, God will return to you and forgive you and show you grace. Samson is heaven bound because he was saved by grace and not by his own personal goodness. We learn so much about God here. We can't overlook the fact that God used a blind, defeated prisoner with a measure of repentant faith to slay thousands of his enemies. We can't overlook the fact that God's grace and mercy fell upon Samson even after his greatest failure. We have to understand that even though Samson was faithless, God remained faithful. Do you know that Samson still fulfilled a great purpose in the Old Testament? Think about it. He helped the world to get ready for Christ to come. He foreshadowed Christ for those who would be watching for him. How? How? He was miraculously born. Heavenly messengers announced his birth. His parents were barren, so they shouldn't have had a child. He was set apart for a special purpose for life. 
And in his death, which I believe was his cry for mercy, Lord, don't leave me here in this humiliated state as a prisoner and as a servant. I think God granted him that in mercy. But listen, in his death, he conquered the enemies of the people of God. Who does that sound like? He's foreshadowing Christ. It says in Hebrews 2.14, through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. His life points us to Christ. He kind of resembled Christ. But what we're supposed to see is the strongest man in the Bible was not strong enough to conquer sin or death. But guess who was? There was one who is stronger than him. The true Messiah, the strongest person who's ever lived, was the Lord Jesus Christ. And if the strongest man in the Bible needs to walk by faith in his strong God to make it, guess what that teaches you and me? Our only hope of overcoming sin, our only hope of making it through this life, hearing well done, good and faithful servant, is if we walk by faith next to our Savior, the Lord Jesus, who conquered sin, conquered death. He alone is mighty to save. And I want to give you this opportunity right now to respond to what you've heard. Samson's life is supposed to show us us. When we play games, when we let it go too far, when we let God go, when we let God down, and then when we know it's time to come back. You can come into the very holy presence of God with a repentant heart, laying before Him any area of failure and weakness and sin, and He will meet you in that moment and restore you. He will use you for His great purpose. Samson was commended in the New Testament because God remembered his faith, not his foolishness. And here, Samson's giving you an example of what faith looks like after a colossal failure. I want you right now to just bow your heads with me, close your eyes. This morning, though, I'm not going to pray. This is your turn right now to pray and to lift any area of your life up to the Lord. Whatever you need to bring to the Lord, any area of contradiction, any crisis, any collapse, bring it to Him now and ask Him to use it to change you, to forgive you.